Welcome back um, to our series FAQs of Christianity, where we answer some hard questions that have been asked by you and, and those around you about the Christian life. And um, we just want to thank you guys for being here. Some new faces. It's good to see you guys. I mean, again, the series is called FAQs of Christianity, Frequently Asked Questions of Christianity and About the Christian Life. Um, in week one, for those of you who are just joining us, in week one we talked about how do you know and how can you trust the Bible. Second week we learned about where do the scriptures come from and why is that important. And then last week Bob uh, wonderfully handled how can a good God allow suffering. And tonight we tackle the matter of absolute truth. So before we kind of get into it, before we really get rolling, let's ask this, what is absolute truth? Like, what does that mean? Um, One definition that I found that I think is the best one, it says this. This is what absolute truth is. This is what we're talking about tonight. Absolute truth is defined as truth that cannot be exceeded. Complete truth. Unwavering and permanent truth. Another way to say it is like this. Absolute truth is true no matter what you think. And more importantly, it's true no matter what you feel about it. It's true no matter what you think about it, and it's true no matter how you feel about it. And there are about a dozen different ways that we we can go with this tonight, and maybe one day we'll do a whole series on truth. Um, But tonight, I I just want to do two things with you guys, okay? First thing is this. I want to give you guys a framework to work with, okay? And what I mean by that is I want to give you the tools that you'll need so that you can address any situation about absolute truth. And that you can engage in conversation with people that might ask you about things to do with truth. And just a quick side road, uh, real quick here. When I say engage with people, when I want to teach you to engage with people, I don't mean argue, okay? I don't mean that I want to teach you how to argue with people. The goal of this series is not so that you can go out there and be like, all right, I'm ready. Whoever wants it can come get it. That, that's my goal. That, that is not the goal of this series. Um, the goal of this series is... Is 1 Peter 3.15 says to be prepared. It calls you to prepared to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. It says that. So we do need to be prepared. We do need to be prepared to, to engage with people. But before that, in 1 Peter 3, same chapter, in verse 8, it tells us that we are to be um, sympathetic, that we are to love one another, that we are to be compassionate, and that we are to be humble. And so it's, it's really hard to do that. And this is where it all kind of comes together. It's really hard to do that when you're, when you're in a discussion with someone and they're asking you questions that you don't know the answer to. Because you start to get kind of insecure and you start to get frustrated because you know they're wrong, but you can't, you can't voice that. So you get frustrated and you, get, you start to get a little sarcastic, a little bit of sass comes out and then you start to get kind of mean and you, start, and you start to lash out because they've got you in a corner. And the only way to get out now is to go through them because you can't figure out the answers. And, and the point of tonight, the point of this series, why Bob and I are doing this series, is because the best antidote for that is to give you answers. Because when you know the answers and people are talking to you, okay, I know this. I can relax and I can focus on them. And you kind of, your temperature kind of cools off a little bit and you're able to speak to these people in love because you've got confidence now. 
You're not just clawing, trying to figure out how to do this. Now you can relax. You can listen to what they have to say. Because if you don't know the answer and they're, they're talking to you, you're not listening. What are you thinking? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And you can't think of anything and you get angry. We're trying to put a stopper in that. We want to give you tools so that you can say, okay, we've talked about this. I know what to say. And you can relax and love people. The goal of this series is not just for you to learn. The goal of this series is that you will love better. Okay? That's the goal of this series. We want to equip you to love people better through learning. Okay? So that's the first thing I want to do is give you guys a framework to work with so you can love people better. The second thing, um, it goes like this. You're going to meet people in your life that are very kind and are very nice to you. And they're good friends of yours. But, but more than that, they're just so happy all the time. And they, seem, and they seem not like a fake happy. They seem very content. And at the same time, they're not Christians. They're not believers. And you're going to say, they're, they're doing fine. They're happy in what they believe. Can what they believe really be wrong then? If it's working so well for them, if they're doing so well, if they're happy, can they really be wrong in this? And you're going to meet Christians who aren't happy, who have quick triggers, who are big complainers, who are difficult to get along with, and they call themselves Christians. And you're going to say, Christians, man, they're miserable. Yuck. I don't, can what they believe really be right? If they're so upset, how is what they believe right? When I look at this person that's not a Christian, then they seem fine. How does that, how does that play out? And see, this is the part where I'm supposed to say, but it's absolute truth. It's true no matter what you feel about it, so deal with it. Christianity is real regardless of how sad they are, so deal with it. That's what I'm supposed to say. But that's not the direction that I want to go, and I don't think that's the proper direction to go in. Uh, imagine like this. Imagine you've got two fish in the water, gills and everything, and they're in the water, and one of the fish, this is where absolute truth comes in, believe it or not, and one of the fish is trying to get up onto dry land. Okay? He wants to get out of the water onto dry land. And the other fish comes up and says, whoa, 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 what, what are you doing? You're a fish. You have gills. If you try to get up on dry land, you're going to be dead in minutes, maybe even seconds. And the, other fish, the first fish turns over to him and says, whoa, hey, stop trying to project your truth on me. Okay? That's extremely rude. You may believe that all fish need to stay underwater. That may be true for you, and that's cool, and I respect that. But please don't try to push that on me. Please be respectful. Thank you. And then that fish hops onto dry land, and what's going to happen to him within minutes, even seconds? He's going to die. And so that's where this whole thing comes in. I want to show you guys tonight that truth, believing in truth and sticking to truth, yes, it will keep you safe. Sure, it absolutely will keep you safe. But sticking to truth, sticking to truth actually leads to joy and life. It doesn't just keep you well-behaved and safe. It leads to joy, and it leads to life. It's not just the rules, okay? So those are the two ways that we want to go tonight. And the first thing we need to establish is, is there such a thing as absolute truth? If they say, you know, if they ask you, is there truth? And you say yes, well, how do you know? Two reasons. 
And there's, and there's a billion of them. But two reasons that absolute truth is real. Okay, Number one, because saying that there is no absolute truth, arguments against absolute truth, they collapse on themselves. Okay, And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember, arguments against the Bible, arguments against truth, they collapse on themselves. And what I mean is, in making their argument, they give you all you need to explain your point. Okay? When they make their argument against truth, they give you everything you need to explain your point. Let me, let me give you an example. Take this statement. Okay, this statement. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Okay? And some of you can already smell it. There is no such thing as absolute truth. In order for that statement to work, it has to be what? True. It has to be absolutely true. You see, absolute truth not existing is literally impossible. But the world does not believe that. The world does not believe there is a standard of truth that you need to adhere to. There is a standard of truth that is good for everybody. They don't believe that. The ultimate definition, we're going to talk about this later, the ultimate definition of the world is you need to be able to make your own truth for yourself. You need the freedom, and that's what it's all rooted in. You need the freedom to be able to define your own truth for yourself. There has to be absolute truth. It's impossible for there not to be. Take, if there was no such thing as absolute truth, just pretend, there's no such thing as absolute truth, and you get a test, and on that test it says true or false, there's such thing as absolute truth. Well, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, you need to put what? True, which completely defeats the whole purpose from the beginning. Or if you put false, then it's correct that you put false, which means it's true. So it, again, it completely, this same argument over and over again, completely defeats itself. If you say there's no such thing as absolute truth, that statement has to be true or it won't work. So it's literally impossible that absolute truth doesn't exist. Okay? There has to be absolute truth. It's impossible for there not to be. Now, we've established there's absolute truth. Now, where does religion come into this? Okay? This is where religion and truth come together. Have you guys, raise your hand, have you guys ever heard the story of the three blind men and the elephant? Has anyone in here heard this? Awesome. Okay, this is, okay. All right, this is good stuff. Um, this is a story that's going to fry some of your minds a little bit. It did mine in college. And in college, I was like, that is so good. That is, that is awesome. And then I've, then I figured out, well, it was told to me why it's not true, and it was awesome. So this is an argument that people will make about religion, okay? All the different religions in the world. Remember, the world thinks you make your own truth. There's not such thing as absolute truth, right? Three blind men and an elephant. Here we go. There's three blind men, and they encounter an elephant, obviously. And they get to this elephant, right? And remember, they're blind. So they're trying to figure out what this thing is. And so the first blind man, he looks at it, and he, and he feels it's... Uh, its trunk, the long thing, like a nose. He feels its trunk, and he's feeling. He says, "This thing's long, and it moves. This is a snake. We need you guys. You need to back off. This is a snake." And the other one, the second blind man, he bumps into the leg of the elephant, and he says, "No, this is wide, and it's still. This is a tree. Why do you think it's a snake? This is a tree." And the third blind man, because on the other side, and bumps into the side of the elephant. He says, "It's it's it's big, and it's flat. This is the side of a mountain. This isn't an, this isn't a snake. This isn't a tree." This is the side of a mountain. Now, this is what it has to do with religion. Listen to, uh, listen to Tim Keller. Here we go. Each blind man could only feel part of the elephant. None of them could envision the whole elephant in the same way. It is argued that religions of the world each have a grasp of part of the truth, 
But no religion can see the whole elephant or claim to have the whole truth. Okay, So that's the argument that gets made. All religions are kind of like blind men feeling an elephant. They've all got part of the deal, but none of them have the whole thing. Now, Keller continues, This illustration collapses on itself. This is exactly what we talked about. This illustration collapses on itself because the story is told from the point of view of someone who sees the whole elephant. How could you know that each religion only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to see the whole thing? This is, this is what he's saying. He's talking to these people. i got to read it or it's not going to sound good. He's talking to these people who say this. And I would imagine some of you are in here. I'm so sick of all these religions claiming that they've got it right. No religion has got it totally right. That's what, these are the kind of people that tell this story. And this is what Keller is saying. You're so mad that all these other religions claim to see the whole truth. Yet what are you doing? You're claiming that you see the whole truth because you're saying, you're saying through this story, nobody can see the whole what? Elephant. But how can you know that unless you see the whole elephant? You're claiming exactly the same thing that all these other religions claim that you don't like. By saying no one can see the whole elephant, you're saying you see the whole elephant. You're doing the same thing. You cannot escape this thing of absolute truth. By saying there's no religion that's got it all right, you think you've got it all right. And you're trying to impose your view on other people. You're doing the same thing that you hate religious people for. You're doing the exact same thing. It all comes back together. Absolute truth stays together. Absolute truth is inescapable, and all other claims against absolute truth, they fall in on themselves. They collapse in on themselves. That's the first reason that absolute truth is real. Here's the second reason absolute truth is real. There are things people believe to be facts that cannot both be true. There are things that people believe to be facts that cannot both be true. If it's okay for everybody to have their own truth, then this can be true and this can be true, right? But there are things that don't add up that way. For example, there is a religion that has a sin called shirk, S-H-I-R-K. It's a sin called shirk. And it's not exactly worshiping more than one God. It's the sin of specifically establishing partners beside God or Making God more than one person. That's a sin in this religion called shirk. Well, guys, one of the central tenets of Christianity is the belief in the Trinity, or one God in how many persons? Three. This is called shirk in another religion. And it's a sin in this religion, and it is an unforgivable sin unforgivable sin in this religion. And you go, according to this religion, if that's what you believe, you will go to hell. So you've got Christianity on this side who, if you don't believe in the Trinity, you're in huge trouble. And then you've got this religion over here that says if you do believe in something like the Trinity, you're in huge trouble. Guys, both of those cannot be right. They can't. One of those has to be wrong. And it'll be wrong no matter how someone feels about it, no matter how happy it makes them, no matter how strongly they believe it, that belief will still be wrong. And one of these beliefs will be right. No matter what people say about it, no matter how much they disagree with it, 
it'll still be right because truth doesn't change just because someone doesn't believe it's true. Truth doesn't change just because someone doesn't believe that it's true. C.S. Lewis says, A man writing darkness on the wall of his house doesn't affect the sun at all. So you've got the sun, this giant sun, and you've got a man who says, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that the sun is real. I don't believe in its light. I don't believe in any of it. And he, and he disbelieves of it so much that he writes the word darkness on the wall of his house. How much is that going to actually affect whether the sun is real or not? Zero. Not at all. C.S. Lewis goes on and says, In the same way, a man refusing to worship God doesn't diminish God's glory at all. A man refusing to believe in God, I don't believe in God, that doesn't make God any less real. That doesn't make God any less true because God is truth. And truth is not governed by how you feel about it or whether you believe it or not. Truth is not governed by how you feel about it or whether you believe in it or not. And here's, here's kind of the whole thing. This is what this whole thing is about. But Ryan, people should be free to decide what is true for themselves. That's the real definition of freedom. Every movie, every song, every piece of culture that you guys are exposed to, that's what it says. That's what the world says. The real definition of freedom is following your heart and making your own truth. Everyone should be free to make their own truth. That's the definition of freedom. No, it's not. That is not the definition of freedom according to the Bible. Truth and freedom. What does John 14, 6 say? You guys know this, so I want you to finish it. Jesus answered, I am the way, the, and the life. And then you know this one too. So you've got truth. Christ is truth. John 8, 42 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. See, the Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us, that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Only it comes in the form of a person and not an idea. But the Bible also teaches us that it is the truth that sets us free. So truth is the key that sets you free. If you don't have truth, you don't have freedom. And if we stick to this truth, if we make ourselves servants to that truth, it will set us free. The only way you can become free is if you put your own heart aside and become a servant of truth. The only way you can be free is if you make yourself a slave to truth. The world does not believe that. The world does not believe that there's one truth and that that leads to freedom. That sticking to this truth leads to freedom. They believe that you make your own truth and that'll make you free. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. The book of Judges is a terrible book in the Bible because it's full of Israel continually suffering. The country of Israel is being attacked and overrun from the outside and on the inside, it's falling to pieces from the inside out being attacked from the outside, and on the inside, the country is falling to pieces from the inside out. That last part, that's exactly what's happening in America. I don't know if you noticed. Israel is falling to pieces from the inside out. Well, why is this happening here? Why is this happening in America? The exact same reason it happened in Israel. But why did it happen in Israel? In the book of Judges, there's a, there's a phrase that loops through the whole book over and over again. It loops through the whole thing. 
It's this one phrase, as Israel continues to fall apart, it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Is that not exactly what we've been talking about for like the last ten minutes? Everyone should be able to do what they believe is true. Everyone should be able to do what's right in their own eyes. That's what Israel was doing, and it fell to the ground. Every man did what he wanted because there was no king. There was no God-appointed king, which is another way of saying there was no standard. There was no absolute truth in Israel. And since there was no absolute truth, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Since there was no standard that says, hey, everyone get under this and it will protect you and it will keep you safe and it will lead to joy. Since there was none of that, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And look at me. This is exactly what will happen in your life if you don't align your heart with Jesus Christ. If you do not let Christ be the standard of truth in your life, you will do what is right in your own eyes and your heart and your life will fall to pieces. If you don't submit to serve what Jesus says, if you don't submit to serve what the Bible says because you don't want to serve it, because you want freedom instead, this freedom will lead to chaos and destruction in your life over and over and over again. The truth is not just this thing that you're supposed to obey. The truth brings freedom. It restricts you. It pulls you in so that it can bring freedom and life and flourishing. Picture, think about it like this. Picture a gardener. And some of you guys are, I'm, I'm way out of my depth here with the gardening thing. Some of you guys know this way more than I do. But picture a gardener and what they do. They don't just water the garden. They're trimming back plants. They're cutting back plants. They're pulling things up. And they're saying, they're pulling this plant over here. And they're pushing this plant over here. And they're trimming this plant whole pieces of this plant off. Are they doing that so that the garden can die? No. They're doing it so the garden can grow, so that it can be healthier, so that it can be more full of life, not less. But no matter how you spin that, this gardener is limiting the freedom of the plants. It is. No, you cannot grow here. You cannot grow this way. You cannot do this. But a gardener, he doesn't bring slavery. No one looks at that and says, how could that gardener force his truth on those plants? How could he do that? He's bringing slavery in. Gardeners don't bring slavery in. This is where it is. Gardeners don't bring slavery. They bring order. And that order leads to life. That order leads to growth in the plants. Because this is what happens Some plants, if you just let them grow wherever they want, you let them do whatever they want, because you want to be the cool gardener and not the the cool parent, you just want to let them do whatever they want, this is what happens. Plants will grow up so much that they become top-heavy if you don't clip them, and they'll collapse on themselves and they'll die. Other plants, if you just let them grow wherever they want, they'll grow over the other plants and they'll stifle the other plants and they'll die. And if all the plants around that plant die, that plant will die. If you're allowed to do what you if it's allowed to go wherever it wants, if the gardener does not bring his standard of truth in, for all the other plants to get in line with, those plants 
will die. And that's what Jesus does. And you know this. John 14, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. My Father is the vine dresser. It's the same thing. God is the gardener. He's not bringing slavery. He's bringing order with his word. And Jesus does the same thing, but he's doing it out of love, not limit. When he gives you the truth and he says, stick to this, if you will stick to this truth, he's not trying to take away your freedom, your freedom to do whatever you want and choose whatever truth you want. He's not trying to take away your freedom. He's trying to give you the only freedom that leads to growth and joy. Not so that you'll follow the rules. He's trying to bring you life. And it's the only way that leads to life. Best example of this that I can think of, I, I know so many guys that I still talk to from college and even back in high school that it was girl after girl after girl after girl after girl after girl. And five years after college, 10 years after high school, they talk to me about this now and their heart is literally an empty shell. Their heart is an empty shell. They don't understand how to connect with women. They don't understand patience. They don't understand time. They don't understand limits. Their heart is literally broken. They don't understand how to do it. And the reason they don't understand how to do it is because they wanted the freedom to go wherever, whenever, whatever. They wanted the freedom to do that. And as a result of that freedom, their heart has been destroyed. Because your heart is not designed to do that. Your heart is not designed to go like that. And so your body is doing things that your heart is not designed for. It's as if, it's like, it's like if your body, if you're eating things constantly that your body is not designed for, that is not nutritious to your body over time, what's going to happen to your body? It's going to die. Your heart is the exact same way. And in the name of freedom... They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do, and this freedom led to death. If you are allowed to run free however you want, which is exactly what the world teaches, you will crash and burn every time. If you don't have a standard of truth to come under, your heart, your heart is meant to do relationships the way the Bible teaches it. That's what your heart is designed for. Your heart is designed to do relationships the way the Bible teaches them. Imagine it, it's like this. Imagine if there's a bird that can fly and it's on the ground looking for food, okay? It's on the ground looking for food. And a predator comes to kill it. How far do you think that bird's going to get if it tries to run away? Just run away. Not far. Not far at all. What should that bird do instead? He should fly. He should fly away. That's the, that's the best way, but it's also the only way. No, the bird cannot do whatever it wants. Yes, I am limiting the bird's freedom. The bird can't do whatever it wants, but if it does what it was created to do, if it operates in the way it was designed to operate, it leads to life. It leads to real freedom. It leads to flourishing. Guys, Freedom is not the lack of all restriction. And that's what we believe. That's what the world believes. Freedom is the lack of restriction. No no's. You don't ever tell somebody no. You let them choose their own truth in their own way. That's not freedom. 
Freedom's not the lack of restriction. Freedom is the right restrictions. That's what truth is. It's the right restrictions. And, if I, and imagine if I said to this bird, if I was like, nope, you can only fly to get away from people. You've got to stick to these limits. This is the truth, and you've got to stick to it. You were designed to fly. That's the truth. You've got to stick to it. Sorry, not sorry. You've got to stick to the truth. What's the bird going to say? Is he going to be mad? No, he's going to say, I would be, okay, I'll be glad to do that. Look at how amazing this is. Look at how much better this is than anything else. That's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel says. If you will align your heart to these limits, if you will align your heart with the person of Jesus Christ, then you'll see this is what you were created for. Imagine a bird that, that walks his whole life. He, he doesn't understand flight. He doesn't know that birds are designed to fly. And so he walks his whole life. And then one day he just gets pushed off a cliff and he has to fly and he does. Can you imagine what that would be like for him to discover flight for the first time, to discover what he was made to be like for the first time, he would say, this is right. This is better than what I wanted. This is the way it's supposed to be. That's what truth is for. That's what the truth of the Bible is for. Not, to, not just for the rule's sake, not just to keep you in line or to take away your freedom. The Bible is the only truth. The Bible is the only freedom. And it's designed for your good. It's designed for your joy. Not just, you'll be better off. It's designed for you to be happy if you follow it. That's why your heart will say, when you discover the gospel, when you discover life according to the Bible, when you discover Christ, your heart will rejoice in it. The ultimate way that that we give up our freedom is when we love somebody. You give up your freedom. You hear about people dying for people that they love. You hear about people that are dating or people that are married. They have to give up part of what they want so that the relationship can flourish. Love, by its very definition, takes away some of your freedom so that it can lead to something better. It takes away part of your freedom so that it can lead to something better. That's what truth does. That's what the law does. That's what Jesus does. That's why this is important. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller, and I'll I'll close with this. Um. When you fall deeply in love, you want to please the person that you love. You don't wait for the person to ask you to do something for her. You eagerly research and learn every little thing that brings her pleasure and joy. Then you go get it for her, even if it costs you money or inconvenience. Your wish is my command, is all your heart can say. And it doesn't feel like slavery at all. From the outside, some of your friends may think she is leading him around by the nose. But from the inside, it feels like heaven. For a Christian, it is the same way with Jesus. The love of Christ constrains us. But once you realize how Jesus has changed for you and given himself for you, you aren't afraid of giving up your freedom anymore because you have found your freedom in him. (music) 